Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. With over 20 years in healthcare, Dr. Gray is a doctor of oriental medicine and holistic physician fusing Eastern and Western healing. Dr. Gray is on staff at Jupiter Medical Center and in private practice with an office in Jupiter, Florida, where he resides. Dr. Gray enjoys being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Baden-Baden, Germany, and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and Biarritz, France. He is co author of several books on food therapy and the founder of the annual Star Summit Talks at the Norton Museum of Art in Palm Beach, Florida. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Radio, Quality Living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. Thank you for joining us every Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard. And, of course, most of you are probably listening via podcast on all major formats. So happy to have you listening and supporting. And, of course, honored uh, every week to have a new guest and especially honored today to have Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. I came to know about his presence and his um, immense dedication to uh, medicine and to the current state of dealing with COVID uh, in, a, in a sensible and compassionate way through a reading that a patient shared with me. And uh, this was on Imprimis, which is um, something that is published regularly um, globally through online and, and so forth. But uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is a professor of medicine at Stanford University, where he received both an MD and a PhD in economics. He is also a research associate at the National Bureau of Economics Research, and the list goes on and on and on. However, this article uh, that I read, this writing, was just thoroughly impressive to me. It answered a lot of questions that I had um, felt the answers to, um, but he backs it up with so much fact and so much intelligence and so much compassion and sensibility that I thought... Let me reach out, and we actually have him on the phone, which is just a, an amazing um, gift. So thank you, Dr. Bhattacharya, for joining us today. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. So um, tell us a little bit about your, just again, your background, and then so we can go into an overall um, idea of why you came to write this, what brought you to to. Um, start to spread this information about where we are with COVID and how we're dealing with it and some of the mis- lots of the misinformation and approaches that has uh, become so normal. Sure. So I, I'm a, a professor of medicine at Stanford. I, my background is in health, health policy and health economics. I have an MD, uh, but it's, and I also do a, have a PhD in economics. So uh, I write on, I've been writing on policy for 20 years, and particularly on infectious disease policy for, for a very long time. Um, and... Uh, in that in in that context, I've I've seen many many epidemics come and go. The H1N1 epidemic, 2009, for instance, uh, and others. Um, the the response to this epidemic, to me, to my eyes, from the very beginning, seemed absolutely out of proportion to the, to the fact that we were seeing. Now, in the early days of the epidemic, there were uh, there were estimates of very very high mortality rates, which uh, which turned out to be very so right. And I do, and I do, sorry to interrupt, but I do want to underscore that word estimates. So which it was not the reality of it. It was that there were people in position with the ears and eyes of the media that were disseminating information based upon their thoughts of what might happen. That's was the estimate. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is a lot of what I mean. That, that, now, to be, to be fair to the, those folks, that there was a lot that wasn't known in the early days of the epidemic and they, making what I think they would call their best guesses. 
um, about what the mortality rate was, the, what the likely, you know, sort of who's vulnerable and so on and so forth. Many of those guesses turned out to be false. Um, and I'll tell you, in the in the in the early days, I saw a number that the World Health Organization reported that there's a 3.4% mortality rate from this from this virus. Uh, I, I remember back to the H1N1 days where there was actually similarly very high mortality rate forecasts. And what happened in H1N1 is that it turned out that there were many more people infected who recovered with no symptoms and never were never identified by tests. Um, that the, that the, and when, when people started to realize that, it turned out the mortality rate wasn't, you know, you know, two two percent. It turned out to be point oh two percent. So the survival rate of ninety nine point nine eight percent from H one N one. Right. So I thought, in the, so in the early days, of the epidemic, of this epidemic, I thought, well, maybe that's what's happening now. And just and just yeah, to so. turn the pages back a little bit to H one N one, which is not that far. I mean, that was a few couple years ago. Um, correct. That was not. Not that no, far. Like right. So, so now we're looking at um, something that hit, and uh, I know there were a lot of doctors that were just treating with the normal whatever they had in their toolbox, which is typically, and when I say doctors, your typical uh, general practitioners, MDs, they were treating with your usual uh, antibiotic steroids and you know so forth and so on uh, because they didn't really have anything else. And people, some people were recovering, some people were doing it naturally. But either way, again, like you said, there was a lot that wasn't reported, but this is the way it was handled, correct? I mean, I think, I think like the, in the early days of, well, H1N1, I think the, the treatment protocols were better than the early days of the treatment for COVID. Uh, I mean, I think the treatment protocols for COVID in the early days were, were actually, I think, did, did a lot of uh, damage. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that just a bit. Um, I mean, I think the, the, um, uh, so, so I did a study actually for COVID, trying to understand how widespread it was in population, using basically evidence from population level antibody tests. So the idea is that if you're infected, you're going to produce antibodies, and even if you don't produce very very severe symptoms, you, you still produce some antibodies for most people. Uh, if you measure the antibodies in population, you can measure how many people are infected, even if they never showed up to the doctor at all. And the surprising result in, in, in this is in early April in Santa Clara County and LA County, uh, and, and, and it turns out now uh, 50 other studies from around the world, there are many, many times more people who have been infected with very mild or no symptoms at all than, uh, than, than, you, than you find in the case counts. Um, that back then it was like 50 times, not from now it's probably on the order of 5 to 10 times more. That's really important. That men, means is that. The mortality rate is not 3%. It turns out to be, if you're under 70, the survival rate from this epidemic, from, from infection, is something like 99.95%. 99.95%. That's like if you drive, uh, drive around at 20,000 miles, 30,000 miles a year, you're going you're gonna to have that same, same risk of death. Hmm. Um, uh, if you're over 70, on the other hand, it's, a very, it's much more deadly. So it's, it's more like 95% survival. Mm-hmm. Right, so that that's you know, a couple of orders of magnitude higher, which makes it different in some sense in that H1N1. This this disease doesn't. If you're a child, for instance, there've been more children that have died of the flu this year in the United States than have died of of uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. And and where is a reliable resource for these numbers? So because that's going to be the first thing that people ask is where is he getting these numbers? Where is where do I see this? Where can I you know get these so, facts? So there was a a paper published in the bulletin of the World Health Organization by a, a very prominent scientist, uh, John, Dr. John Ioannidis. So, can who, you spell uh, that or, or repeat that so yeah, that people can look it up? I, I-O-A-N-N-I-D-I-S. Thank John you. John Ioannidis. Thank He's you. He's a professor of medicine at Stanford. Um, and he, he is an uh, expert at compiling uh, and reconciling you know, medical data. Um, and so he's, he has looked at all of, all of the 50 studies that have been published 
on this, and that, that's that's his major conclusion. Under 70, 99.95% survival. Over 70, 95% survival. So that's really important. If that's true, that means that, that there's two things. One is we we have to protect older people, the older population. That They're the ones that are most vulnerable to this. Those are, they're the ones that end up in the news reports where you see people, you know, in the early days in hospitals, things dying, dying in the middle of viral pneumonia. Um, that, that, that you cannot expose older people to this virus if you can at all avoid it. So since early days, many uh, people who were infected with the virus or older people were sent back to nursing homes where they infected other older people. Things like that can, cannot happen. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's not, it, uh, and we can talk more about ideas about how to, how to implement that, to implement that idea in, in just a bit. But the second part I want to, I want to have, this is, this is something that's not emphasized in the media and should be. For younger people, this is, this is a, it's, it's not, it's 99.95% commensurate with other risks that young people take in their life all the time. And shutting down basically schooling, uh, businesses, all the activities that we've shut down by themselves are actually very damaging to the, the mental and physical health of young people, their people. Let me say young, I mean like under, um, let's say under 60. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I agree because I recently did a show with the state attorney general for Palm Beach County on that effect and, and the rise of uh, alcoholism, um, you know, drug abuse, uh, domestic violence, uh, child abuse, ch- child trafficking. I mean, yeah, the list goes on. Oh, it's and, devastating. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely devastating. And I'll just give you one number uh, uh, that was produced by the CDC, this, I think, in like, July. Uh, they did a survey, of, uh, a nationwide survey of, of, of the population in, in the U.S. They found that one in four uh, young adults, age 18 to 24, had seriously considered suicide in June. Mm-hmm. One in four. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm seeing a lot more of that. I'm seeing a lot more uh, bulimia cases, uh, self-cutting, self-mutilation, you know, uh, stress. No, and, for, for, for young people, this is not... We're, we're meant to live in community, especially young people are meant to live in community to, 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 to socialize with one another. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not healthy to have us be isolated from one another, which is essentially what these lockdowns have done. Right. Um, especially, especially for young people. I mean, for older people too. That's also quite important. Right. Mm-hmm. The, uh, loneliness and isolation have produced devastating effects in the old, older population. Right. Um, so we can talk about that also. But I, I mean, think, it's, yeah. yeah, that's just I've, I've had I've experienced that with my patients who um, who family members have been hospitalized, and their advocate, who is usually their family member, spouse, what have you, is not allowed to be there. So all sorts of uh, unnecessary procedures, um, lack of uh, proper administration of of their medication that they're usually on. Uh, I mean, all sorts of things have happened and have caused that mortality or infection or what have you rate to go up, and it's it's um, I mean, significant. I, I, I saw this. Number which is um, in, you can look, in, if you put it in, in, in like Google, you can find the same same source. It's I mean, it, it, it's a twenty percent increase in dementia related deaths. Mm. In, yep. in, um, yeah, but that's not often, that's, that's just from isolation. Yeah, um, uh, I, mean, I think I think uh, to me this we, the the media and the and the um, the, the sort of messages come come out has focused so uh, on on one source of, of condition, one disease, one mm. infection. At the expense of basically every other uh, thing that makes right. that, that used to be important to public health. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the question I ask is, what if the media, you know, which has obviously grown um, with their viewers, support, whatever they're trying to achieve, and, and I've never seen. I'm 46 now, so I, I have not seen the media wield its power in such a negative and um, 
way in a long time when it comes to public concern. And why I say that is because if you were to put a, as they've treated this like a score scoreboard where they keep putting this these numbers up, instilling fear, if you were to do that for everything, influenza, cold, which is rhinovirus, car accidents, domestic abuse, I mean, you know, you name it, uh, it, it we, how would we live? Because this is not journalism. It's actually just treating the these. No, it's, it's it's propaganda at this point. Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think the thing is, you have to put these numbers in perspective. So you go to when you know, you know, you get this experience in med school, like I did. I mean, you, you read about these things, you go, and then all of a sudden, you 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 you're, you're, you think that you have these diseases, these rare diseases yourself. You, you it changes how you see everything if you yeah. if you over oversize it. You have to be uh, put these numbers in perspective. Yes, COVID is deadly, absolutely, especially if you're over six seventy. But at the same time, there are many many other things that the lo- that the lockdowns themselves are absolutely deadly. Right. The lockdowns have killed. Uh, I mean, I just tell you that. So we talked about psychological. So let me tell like a little bit the physical health impacts of the lockdowns, um, even apart from psychological health. The lockdowns have led many, many people to avoid getting cancer screening. Mm. Things like uh, mammograms, things like colon cancer screening. Mm-hmm. We will see, and, and there's been, and, and people have avoided going to the, 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 the ER with because while they have heart attacks because they're too so afraid of COVID. Or their doctor's um, office because they don't want to sit in a waiting room. Yeah. And so what, what we're going to see is in coming in the coming year is a rise in, in late-stage cancer diagnoses. We've reversed that trend for, for the last five years. We've reversed that trend. Especially in the, in the, the case of breast cancer and, and other female-oriented cancers. Yeah, it's absolutely. And, and you know, it's, so that's, that's one, one fact. But, I mean, of course, cancer is the deadliest, uh, is, is the deadliest condition in, in, uh, in, in, in the U.S. And, and around the world, and especially, and especially in the developed countries. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the main source of mortality. Yes. It's, it, Player with just small percentage increases in, in stage four cancer diagnoses, and you're going to get many, many, many more deaths. Um, uh, another thing, uh, so so people, uh, the U.S. This is, this is this actually happened in Pennsylvania that the people uh, that, that stopped vaccinating their kids during the COVID epidemic. Mm-hmm. Now in the U.S., it probably it'll result in measles coming back. Um, worldwide, polio has now started to grow again, grow again in, in Pakistan, where where they I mean, we thought we were the verge of eradicating polio from the face of the earth. That's not going to happen anytime soon as, as a result of the lockdowns. Mm. Um, let me give you one other absolutely haunting statistic. Uh, the, the UN in April estimated that there, I mean, normally there's about 120 million people who's, who are on the brink of starvation, potentially starving every all around the world. You know, people with one or two dollars a day of income. Um, they're just you, you, small economic disturbances have an enormous effect on, on your ability to feed your family. That, that, that's true in the U.S. Oh, it's especially true if you're really poor in a very poor country. The U.N. estimated that 130 million people, additional people at this year, will be at risk of starvation as a consequence of the, of the lockdowns, mm-hmm. the, the economic dislocation caused by the lockdowns. Um, 130 million people. A million people have died of COVID so far this year around the world. If only a, a fraction of that, let's say 10 percent of that, of that of, of those 130 million, um, are, you know, are, are affected by the lockdowns, that's 13 million lives. Mm-hmm. Those lives should count in our calculus too. Yeah. Um, I mean, starts people dying of starvation is not, not an easy way to die. Um, so I think we're kind of in a bad place in a sense, and we put out of proportion in public health. We normally think about things as balances. Right. We can't we can't focus on one disease. If we focus on a single disease, all the other diseases that we normally would be concerned about, they're, they're still there. Mm-hmm. We just have to address them. And the, the the actions we've taken have harmed the people those other diseases. In fact, if they created, they even they've even made COVID worse. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but so I'll just give you an example. So the, the, the economic dislocation caused by the lockdowns have let, and, and the closure of universities have led large numbers of young people to go uh, back home and live with the, their older parents. And there's this dynamic where you know the young person goes out and does normal young person things. They come back and they get scolded by the younger parents, by, by their older parents. But what's happening is that now you have this mixing, more mixing that causes uh, the older person to be uh, infected by younger people. Mm-hmm. And then that, right? and then of course their parents now, uh, if they're if the grandparents are still alive and either living in close proximity or in the same household, that of course ups that risk factor for the yeah, even older exactly. individual. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, the, the other, another, another thing we've done with these lockdowns, these lockdowns are not, are not universal. I mean, it could, you know, it could be, we still have to produce food. We still have to do our essentials. Right? Yeah. We, and we, we call these workers essential, and, but whether or not they're vulnerable, we ask them to go out and risk their lives. So, We've made no provision for the 63-year-old bus driver who actually does deal with diabetes, who actually does face a pretty high risk of death. Right. But then we say I could go out and get expelled, or else you know, right. you can't feed your family. Now, um, I mean, like this again, you know, it, what I try not to do is create a sense of trading one sense of fear for another sense of fear, and I'm not saying we're doing that because these are all. Um, immensely important facts. These are things that people need to see, and they need to see the whole picture. And and you're giving us that. The, the issue I have with all this, just to put a pause r- real quick on, on, on the whole picture of the facts and how COVID has affected us and how lockdowns are creating more deaths and the actual disease and so forth, is why in 2020, with all of this technology, probably close to 300 years of Western progress in, um, in, in science, so to speak, um, are we so blind to these basic common sense facts as a global community? Because it's not just like it would be one thing if it was America and um, and its unhealthy population. Because we before COVID, we were an unhealthy country. You know, I mean, we're we're not we're we're definitely down in the totem pole as far as overall health. Uh, we're we're along with other countries, but you see like France, you see some of these other Western countries that are. So-called advanced places, um, all sharing in these nonsensical mandates um, and approaches, which do not make sense if you have any common sense at all, or any scientific awareness, or any access to the facts on the internet. So, what is going on? Why? Because you you have a background as an MD, you have a background as a professor, and and you obviously see the economics of this. So, tell us from through epidemiology economics. Can you speculate or tell us from your 30 years, over 30 years of experience, why is this happening the way that it's happened? I'll tell you, I've been absolutely stunned by many of my colleagues. It, it, it's like they have a blind spot for the, the harms that are, that are caused by this policy. But like normally in public health, as I said, balance, we think about the health holistically. It's not, public health is not just about infection control. Right. Um, you, you have to, just like I said, we, we actually have many, many, many health challenges that Americans face. And we have to think through carefully how to marshal the resources we have to address those those one after the other one one against one one against the other. Right. That's just normal balancing. We never. I'm gonna give you a few other things, but that I think that where public health has failed uh, in this, we never panic. That panic is not a tool in the public health. No. Toolkit. Even in the movies, you'd always say, "Okay, we have to keep this, <laughs> you know, quiet." Yeah. The last thing you I, do I, is allow the media to start a, a, a scoreboard of how many people on a day-to-day basis are contracting a disease versus how many died, which is, you know, th- like you said, the, the statistics are skewed. But anyway, 
I mean, so like my all my, my colleagues, they 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 have become fixated on the benefits of lockdown, and they've not counted the cost at all. Right. It's very very strange. In part because the tools to I mean, there's like some very pretty mathematical tools to try to forecast this disease, and you know people get enthralled with those kind of mathematical tools, even when they produce some wrong estimates that are just wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's that aspect of things. The second thing I think uh, is, is so, but the blind spot is is very difficult to explain. Let me give you another failure of public health uh, in uh, messaging. And, and so, uh, I told you this fact about the, the disease that that it is very de- it's much more deadly for older people than it is for younger people. Right. The impression you get from public health messaging is that it's equally deadly for everybody. That has two effects. One is old people are, are probably take more risks than they ought to take. They don't. They underestimate relative to what their actual death risk is, what the, mm-hmm. what the, what the, what the disease can be to them. Young people, by contrast, are panicked unnecessarily. They basically take they, they, they take too excessive precautions against getting COVID, and mm-hmm. by doing that, they expose themselves to all the other harms that we just <laughs> talked about. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's bad public health messaging. Yeah. Like we have to we have to convey accurately what the data are actually saying in public health. Right. Let me, give you, let me give you a third thing, which I, I I find really difficult to excuse. Public health should never create a sense of shame. In people, yes. About thank you, or 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 blame. Yes, we went through this with HIV, and I, and I thought we'd learned that lesson. Hmm. Cannot create a shame. Is a virus? I mean, it's it's it happens to people no matter what precautions you can take. Sometimes right. it'll just happen. A virus is not um, racist. It's not sexist. It's not. <laughs> it's it's a virus. Yeah, it's, it's, it's doing so, its job. It's trying to stay alive, it, and it's trying to propagate, and it's trying to and, yeah. it, and it does that through evolution, just like we should be doing. Yes. The issue, the issue then is how do we? What should public health do? It should it should create a sense of compassion for people who are sick, not a sense of oh you failed. Mm. It shouldn't it shouldn't be looking around to seek uh, to to blame to blame. So it's uh, public health messaging um, and the media has helped us has created this ser- a set of serial failures in public health that are just I I, I find it really difficult to understand mm. how many of my colleagues haven't. I haven't seen the same thing. I mean, I, I, I had thought that they agreed with, with, with me on, on, on the mean, what I thought was the consensus in public health on this, but I don't, I mean, it's, it's evident that the, you know, the pictures about people dying from COVID have, have blinded them. Yeah, I mean, there definitely, uh, you know, is a sense of fear that's been propagated by the media. There, there is a sense of, um, I mean, straightforward just lies, things that when it's kept from the public and it's it's not being disseminated properly. But you, you know, let's let's talk positively now because there's an aspect of your article that says, where do we go from here? And in, and it starts with that you met with uh, Sunetra Gupta of Oxford University and Dr. Martin uh, Kuldorf of Harvard University. So these are big names, big people. Um, and and who do share in some of your views, or if not all of them, and you are obviously intelligent, well-learned, and experienced. Now, in the last couple minutes we have, where do we go from here simply? And my answer, obviously, is in the holistic realm. I teach my patients about zinc and echinacea and golden seal and, and eliminating too many sugars and processed foods and exercising and yoga and meditation, and it works. For my small area of the world, my patients don't get sick, and if they do, they recover, and it's been great. And so, Dr. Bhattacharya, what are your thoughts on some of my suggestions coming from a holistic perspective for patients that are fearful of contracting or dealing with COVID-19? I, mean, I think there's a lot of good evidence for uh, some of the things he says, like, for instance, like zinc and for vitamin D, there's pretty good evidence that it, uh, it's, that it can be protective against, uh, uh, you know, sort of against COVID. Uh, and certainly things like good sleep, good, good diet. That's good for everything. I mean, in, in particular uh, for COVID, it, it, it's it, it's not like anything else. It's just like everything else in that sense. You, know, you want to be kept against uh, viruses uh, like COVID, like respiratory viruses. Get good sleep, get good rest. I think those are all really good advice. 
everybody. Thank you very much. But this is not the majority. This is the minority of America and the minority of the world, unfortunately. So from a big picture, dealing with people who are diabetic, high blood pressure, hypertension, happy with going and buying, you know, ho-hos and Twinkies and then wearing a mask and saying, where's my check for $1,200? You know, <laughs> what, what, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Well, I, th- I think, first, we have to protect the older population. So, like, protect the nursing homes, um, use the testing resources we have to protect the, protect the make, give, give people who are, are at high risk and that are essential, so, you know, disability accommodations or something so they don't have to get exposed and still all not have to lose their jobs. I think we've spent trillions of dollars, let's spend it actually protecting the vulnerable instead of, of, of paying people to stay home that are actually very low risk. Um, we, we, we have, we, for, for the rest of society, I think the right answer is let us free. Let us do our do our thing that we normally would do. What you say is absolutely right. We should we should very strongly encourage healthy practices, and, and but that would be true even regardless of COVID, right? Um, you 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 would say okay, exercise, um, take you know, so t- take the take the kind of uh, uh, steps that you normally know you eat a healthy diet. Those those are those are completely reasonable steps to encourage regardless. But setting the rest of society free, it wouldn't mean that the people would stop worrying about COVID. I mean, of course, people, I think, would still continue to social distance and do those things because of the fear. It's going to take some time to work that through. But uh, getting the message across that COVID is a risk uh, that's commensurate with other risks and the, the, and shutting yourself away is actually much worse for, 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 for society than, uh, than uh, and for people in society, for, for their health, than, than uh, you know, Staying on, on Zoom all, all the time. I, mean, like that, I think we have to we have to basically acknowledge that there's this that was this uh, different risk. People are older and younger, mm-hmm. and so you, you, the policy then the compassionate policy is to is to pr- provide good information to younger people about what the risks are, put the COVID risks in context, and set them free, while at the same time doing everything we possibly can to protect the older population in, um, in ways that I think actually could if we if we put our mind to it could do. Um, we sort of uh, uh, the, uh, we sort of like thought to ourselves, I think, or at least many people thought to themselves, well, if we just control the spread, we can protect the older population. But we've seen that that's failed. The older population has been, I mean, I think it's something on the order of 70% of the of people who died of COVID are over, over, over uh, the age of 70, mm-hmm. or about 70 80%. And we failed to protect the older population, yeah. and we've harmed the younger population. And there's and there's the gray area where these people who uh, have been in quarantine still got infected. You know, uh, they've been totally you know masked and gloved and staying yeah, inside, and they still got infected. So I think there's an area that we just don't understand, and and that's another probably another show of just understanding viruses. I don't think people understand them. You know, they're they're saying, oh, it might be on fabric, it might be on paper. Like, yeah, they're all over. There's probably fifty thousand viruses in there right now. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, so that's the reality of that science. Uh, but people don't know. They don't, they're just ignorant. I mean, yeah, like there are, there are uh, uh, humans face. I mean, I think like two hundred major pathogens. Uh, right. I mean, it's just if you if you take it seriously, these guys you come out saying you, know, you, you come out scared, and you, you realize okay, you can live your life still. Right. We have to convey that sense to people, yeah. and I think I think that, that that that's possible. I mean, if we if we turn our public health messaging around to focus on what the facts are actually saying, yeah. provide people a perspective, and stop sowing fear, mm. we're going to get much better outcomes. Better outcomes for older population. We'll get better COVID outcomes and better non-COVID outcomes. Perfect. Really on, 
I mean, on, on that note, we can't say anything more. I mean, that is just perfect coming from Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford Un uh, University. And um, it, you, we really appreciate your time today. There's so many more questions, but I think we'll have to do another show. Uh, this has been another Maximum Health Quality Living. If you would like to read this whole article, it's on Imprimis, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S uh, dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Look it up, a sensible and compassionate anti-COVID strategy. Thank you so much, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. You've been amazing.